From St. Luke's Gospel, and Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Here's a new one. Is this on? I can't really hear it very well. Can you guys hear me? Okay, here's a new one. So we got to the altar and... uh, Austin handed me a little piece of paper that somebody slipped him on the way up doing the uh, litany, and he said, hey, that was really great. Can we try that again? So you all ready? No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) If you've been watching the news lately, you know you've heard there's some some problems in Eastern Europe, which seems to be the recurring theme in the 20th century, now the 21st century, that that part of the world is problematic. And so You've, uh, you've seen the footage, right, unless you've been on vacation somewhere with no internet access. Uh, you've seen the footage, and I'll, one that struck me last week about this whole Ukrainian-Russian thing was, a, was a, a shot, a brief one of about three or four seconds of a, somebody in a car racing down the road, and there was, a, a, uh, I guess, an armored personnel carrier coming the other direction, a tank something. And rather than, you know, kind of cutting sideways the Russians to stop the Ukrainian car from going by, they just ran over it. Did you see that video? It was incri- I could not believe it. They just crushed all, everybody inside. And, and you got to wonder, right? You got to say to yourself, man, that's just, not only is that abuse of power, but that's just really, that's just not fair. That's just not fair. And now we have accusations of war crimes and so against the Russian military. You know, we're looking at potentially another global, or a global thermonuclear war. I mean, maybe it's just me, but Here's the question we're going to talk about today. Where is God in all this? Or maybe even closer to home, right? Everybody's got something going on. What's that? Think of something that's happened to you. Uh, you know, maybe someone you love is, is wrestling with an illness or an addiction, or you've got a friend or a spouse who's recently died, or you've lost a job, or and whatever it is, man, fill in the blank. Everybody's got something. It seems unfair, and it is unfair. Where is God in all this, after all? And it's a bigger question, one you hear all the time. Why do bad things happen to good people, Father Chris? I actually preached a cl- I taught a class on this in the fall. Why do bad things happen to good people? It's a very good question. There's an implied assumption in the question, though. If you, if you stop and think about it for a minute, like I hope you do, there's a lot of pieces to that question. It's not as insoluble as it sounds. But why do bad things happen to good people, Father Rodriguez? Well, actually, the question assumes something. It presumes something that life is fair, right? Why do bad things happen to, why do bad things happen to good people, Father Chris? It's not fair. Well, guess what? The world is not fair. I mean, Scripture says this repeatedly over and over again, you know. The rain falls on the just and the unjust. Why do bad things happen to good people? God, you owe me. Well, you know, Jesus is always the consummate example on the cross, right there. Why do bad things happen to good people? Well, you know, maybe you could ask Jesus that question. Yes, bad things do happen to good people, but the the bigger, the bigger piece is that good things happen to bad people. That's actually the gospel. Yeah, bad things do happen to good people. The world is unfair. We all know that. But the gospel says that, yeah, but actually good things happen to bad people, too. That while you and I were yet sinners, Scripture says, Jesus died for us. So good things 
do in fact happen to bad people. And I am an example of that. So we're going to look at a different question this morning. And I, think, I hope it's helpful for you. It's a big one, and it's right out of the text. We talk about all this idea of suffering and struggle and Ukraine and whatever's going on in your personal life. Here's the big question. Here's the biggie. Does suffering actually have a purpose? Is there meaning behind it, or is it just a random series of events? Tough beans for you, kid. Is it that? Or is there actually a purpose behind it? Can we learn from suffering? In fact, can we learn maybe the most important lesson in all human life? Is suffering a part of God's plan, and if so, how? We're going to look at that today. With the temptation of Jesus Christ in the wilderness. Three points. And they're all beginning with the letter T, so you can remember. Why are we tested? Why are we tempted? And how are we triumphant? Why are we tested? Why are we tempted? And how are we triumphant? So first thing, how are we, are we tested? A little bit of background. It's actually super important. The temptation of Jesus happens right after his baptism. He comes out, John the Baptist, you know, dunks him in the Jordan River. He comes out, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And then Bam! The next thing, the very next thing he does is he is led. Listen, Luke says he is full of the Holy Spirit. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, is led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted. This is not an accident. This is part of God's plan, you see. And in fact, in Mark's gospel, it says uh, the word that for uh, going into the wilderness is the word ekbalo. It means like pushed or forced. But notice something really important, and it's in verse 1 of your handout there. It says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, that's the key, is sent into the wilderness to be tempted. Now, this temptation is actually a pretty tricky thing. We, when you think of the word temptation, what do you think of? A quartet from the 60s, right? Wasn't that the temptations? I don't know where that just came from, sorry. Um, <laughs> When we think of, uh, when I think of temptation, you know, I've actually, I am tempted by, I am not really tempted by food all that much. Some people are. I'm not. It's not my thing, really. Uh, I don't really get tempted by bacon or, well, yeah, I do. But I mean, I'm not really tempted by a whole lot of different kinds of food. But I will tell you one, I will, amongst friends here. If you put a Boston cream donut in front of me, I will push you down the stairs to get it. <laughs> I have no willpower. You put a tray of five of them in front of me and five are gone. I am tempted. And that's what we think of typically about temptation, something that Janie Binion said this morning, something which entices us, something we want, but we know we shouldn't have, or at least not have as much as we want. That's what we think of when we think of temptation. That's what we think of when we think of Jesus being tempted, but it's actually not, not, a, good, not a good way to see it. That word for tempted is a very important Greek word. It's the word parezo. Super important. Parezo, tempted. It actually means to, read it here, to try something to see if, be, if it can be tested or relied on. Listen to that again. That word with, that Jesus goes into the wilderness, that word means something, to try something to see if it's reliable. I mean, how many of you, let me ask you a question, how many of you have been through a struggle in your life? Don't overthink this because we've all got stuff, right? Yeah, part of your life which was really, really hard, right? It was a struggle. And you said to yourself, this is just too much. I just, I just can't do it. You're at the end of your proverbial rope. I can't do it. Well, here you are. 
Maybe you could bear this after all with, by God's strength, which I'll get to in a minute. But see, the one thing I want you to think about in all this, this is really cool and really subtle, but stay with me, that most people think of temptation as wanting something you shouldn't have or being tested by God to see if we've got what it takes. Almost like God is, a, you know, the great big cosmic clockmaker that holds a carrot in front or some, a Boston cream donut in front of me and says, hey, can he do it? Can he, can he, you know, can he prevent himself? Can he control himself? That's what we think of. Most of us think of God testing us as God trying to see if we've got what it takes. That is not true. God already knows what you're capable of. He's God. He knows everything. He already knows that. He doesn't need to watch you perform to know what you're capable of. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13 says this very thing. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. Which, guess what? Means he knows your ability, your limit. It's the point, listen, when God tests us, when God tests Jesus in the wilderness, it's not to see if we've got what it takes, not to see if we can handle it, but to show us that he can. The point is not that God doesn't know what we can handle. He does know. The point is we, you and I, don't know what we can handle with his strength, with his power, full of the Holy Spirit. Look again, it says it right there. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, goes out into the wilderness. Jesus is both God and man, right? Super complicated, it's confusing, but he is also, he's God, he's also a man. Hebrews says he was tempted in every way that you are. Even Boston cream donuts, Right? I don't know, whatever it is, man. He is tested in every way as we are, as you are, yet did not sin. But see, Jesus does not go into the wilderness to sort of test his own ability to, to you know, stand fast, grit and personal strength. No. Luke says, full of the Holy Spirit, he goes out into the wilderness to be tempted, to be tested. See, it's the Holy Spirit that strengthens us, friends, in our struggle. It's the Holy Spirit that gives us the ability to get through things we can't possibly get through our own. And we learn the most important lesson in your entire life and in mine, that God is powerful and that he's trustworthy. It's the power of God. Let's think about it. The power of God is only clear to us when we've been tested. It's only clear to us when we are out of options. It's only clear to us when we've got nothing else. Until we are tested and come through victorious. This testing is not for our sake. It's not for God to see what we've got. It's for us to see what he's got. God tests us. God allows us. I should be careful. God allows us to be tested, to be tempted. For our strength to be increased in him. That's my first point. But the second then, temptation of the devil is the exact opposite. If, te- if the idea of being tested is to draw your eyes to your Father in heaven, then temptation is the exact opposite, is to pull you away. The, temp- the, the devil tempts Jesus, and it's very subtle. He says here, the temptation is suggested by the devil to alleviate our suffering, not by trusting in God, but by trusting in ourselves. Look at how he does it. He tempts Jesus. Jesus has been in the desert for 40 days. The guy's hungry. I would be. I can't go an afternoon without getting something to eat. He's in the desert for 40 days, and the devil comes to him and says, hey, 
That's how he always does it, right? Hey, I got an idea. And he, he, he attacks both his pride, he attacks Jesus' pride, I suppose, or his ability to be his uh, power. If you really are the Son of God, if you really are, I got an idea. Turn these stones into bread, can you? I bet you really want to, don't you? Look at here. Don't wait for God. Don't wait for your Father to bail you out. Jesus, rely on yourself, man. You are, after all, the Son of God, right? Aren't you? Can't you do this? Can you? You've got the power, baby. Make it happen. Disobey God and alleviate your suffering. And that doesn't work. Jesus says, and notice that Jesus always counters with the reference to Scripture. When that doesn't work, the devil tempts Jesus with power, which incidentally is Jesus' own power, which is another whole kettle of fish. And then the devil, notice this, he tempts Christ every time by quoting Scripture out of context. In fact, he, you know, he says, he takes him up to the, the highest mountain, or the top of the temple, and says, throw yourself off. You believe in God, don't you? Jesus, come on. Oh, yeah? Prove it. Psalm 91, verse 12, which they just sang a minute ago. It's right here. He will not let your foot be dashed against a stone. Satan quotes Scripture and, and is tempting Jesus to proof text it. But the point here, you see, is that Jesus' temptation, even though, even though the devil uses Scripture, the devil can quote Scripture, and he does. Christ counters him back. It's interesting. Every single time the devil tempts him, Jesus quotes back a Scripture from Deuteronomy. If you are in the midst of that struggle, if you are in the midst of a temptation, here's how you know whether it's good or bad. Is this test drawing you closer or further away from God? It's the same word, parizo. But God can use it. God can, will allow it to occur to see if one of two things happen. Either you will, your strength will increase or you will focus on yourself and lean towards where Satan is calling you. Testing always draws us closer to God. Temptation always draws us further away. And then my third point is this. How are we triumphant? Where does the victory come from? Well, where is the source notice of Jesus' response every single time that Satan tempts him? Each of the devil's temptations come from Scripture, and Jesus always answers from Deuteronomy. I'm going to read a, a, a quote here from a, a commentator. I didn't write his name down, sorry. If you want it, I have it in my office. But this is great. I'm, not even going to, I'm just going to read what he says here. The answers of Jesus to the devil are in effect as follows. You, Satan, suggest that feeding my body may take precedence over obeying my God. But God has told men, men, that they shall not live by bread alone. Therefore, I shall not do so. You offer me, Satan, universal power at the price of worshiping you. But God has told men that they are not to worship anyone but him. Therefore, I shall not worship you. You propose that I should test his promises to suit my own convenience. But he has told men that they are not to test him in this way. Therefore, I shall not do so. Every time Jesus appeals to temptation with a quote from Scripture, every time Jesus appeals to Satan with a trust in God, this past year, uh, many of you know, some of you don't, I'm sure, that one of my, my daughter Amy struggled with a, 
uh, a disease that she had that she's done, thankfully. Uh, but it was really pretty serious at one point. She's pretty ill. And I will tell you, friends, it was a testing thing for her and for us. It was, a, it was probably the most, it was, it was probably the most difficult thing I've ever been through. It was a testing, and it was a trial, and it was a struggle, and it was suffering, right? Bad things do, in fact, happen to good people. Or, at the very least, bad things happen to people that don't deserve it. But I will tell you this. In my own life, I've learned something over and over again. Thank you, Lord. That we are forced to rely on God, frankly, because we have, are out of other options. It's not a pleasant place to be, but it does grow you as a person. And I'll tell you, um, you know, I knew that Scripture is where you got to hang on, right? Because it's true, even when it doesn't sound like it is, it is. And there's one Scripture which I hung on all summer. Kathy did too, so did Amy for that matter. Uh, it's, and it's, Rome, it's a famous one, and it's probably been on our refrigerator for years. And it goes like this, Romans 8, 28. And we know, this is Paul writing to the church, this is the scripture that I had in my mind over and over and over and over and over. And we know that for those who love God, listen to this, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. Listen to that again. And we know that all things work together for good for those who love the Lord. All things. Everything. The word is tauta. It means everything works together for good. For those who love the Lord. Not some things, not lots of things, not just the pleasant things. Oh no, I wish it was that simple. It's not. Scripture says all things work to good. All things. Think about that. All things work to good for those who love God. Think about all the things in your life that you're wrestling with right now. Y'all got something. Or you have, or you will. The Bible tells us that these things work to good for those who love God. The invasion of Ukraine will work to good for those who love the Lord. How? I can't tell you that. But I can tell you that God's word is true. And it's real. And I will tell you, friends, I have read that text. I've preached that text before. All things work to good for those who love the Lord. It wasn't until I actually had to live through it that I knew it was true. And now I do. Because Scripture is the Word of God. Scripture is the defense that we have against the temptations of the devil and the testing of this world. The Bible assures us of victory in this life because it focuses our life on the life to come. It worked for Jesus. It will work for you. So back to the question, why do bad things happen to good people? Well, at least in part, they draw us closer to God. To strip away all the things that we lean on instead of him. Mother Teresa famously said, when you realize Jesus is all you got, you realize Jesus is all you really need. Why do bad things happen to good people? Well, to lean, to teach us to lean on our Father in heaven, just like Jesus learned. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you for tuning in to our Trinity Episcopal Church podcast. To find out more about the work God is doing through Trinity, visit us online at trinityvero.org and follow us on Facebook.